Now let's pray. Father, thank you so much for an incredible day of worship and this opportunity we've got to be with the church family today. And I thank you that you're faithful and you're good and you're true. And and thanks, God, how much you love us. And um, I pray, Father, that through this message today that we'll reinforce what we just saw on that screen, that that, um, we are called to follow you and that we have this awesome opportunity to do exactly that this afternoon that we can serve others and follow you in the process. So I want to ask God that you'll just uh, let the word come alive today. Holy Spirit, I I know you're everywhere. You feel the atmosphere already, but would you just take the atmosphere and charge it electrically for yourself and for your father and for the son? And I want to pray that uh, you'll speak to hearts. If there's someone here who's never trusted Christ, that today might be that day. And for those of us who need a wake-up call about why we do what we do, um, that today be that day. And uh, may we leave prepared for this afternoon um, for the great opportunity that you have given us. So we love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your most powerful name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here today. God bless you guys. And uh, today is kind of like a kind of like a pep rally, getting us ready for what we get to do this afternoon. And and I know, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but I, I occasionally have people come back to town or they haven't been in church in a while and they come back and they go, you know, it's like a different church. And, and God allows us to cycle people through and sometimes they move and sometimes God calls them to different places of service. Uh, sometimes they, they go to Missouri and sometimes they go to Central Asia. And uh, you know that, but people cycle through and we're a changing church. And I thought be very appropriate and important today to just remind us why we do what we do and particularly why this is important because I just have a feeling there's probably some people sitting out in the room today and you're going, you know, I've heard about this back to school thing. I haven't personally done it. Um, I've been going to church here five years and I've never showed up for this event. I want to encourage you to listen today and find out why we do what we do and invite you to be a part of that this afternoon. Or perhaps this is your first Sunday and you're going, well, what is this big thing? What are all these bags and what can I do? You can come. If it's your first day at Dorisville, you can come and be a part as we get the opportunity to serve other folks. Well, you know, there's a lot of money spent on branding different things. Uh, the advertising business is like a zillion billion dollar business. And we are, we are called, they, they pick up different slogans that help us remember their product and why we need their product. Now, I chose two or three off the internet. Um, and one, of course, if someone in this room, someone in this room has a check mark on your shoes or on your shirt or on your hat, And that, of course, represents Nike, the company. And their little slogan is, just do it. Just do it. Talking about the sports realm, the commitment, whatever's necessary, just do it. And, And it's one of the slogans that's just hung around a real long time. Just do it. You see the check mark, and you think, Nike. And what I have to read, because I tried to get it in my head, but I just couldn't quite do it, is MasterCard. And it's quite catchy. I don't believe it's true, but it's quite catchy. It says this, there are some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. And that kind of sticks into our brain. We've seen the commercials, and, and we see the things where, where money, things, money can't buy, but then there's MasterCard that can. Of course, one that we all love is, is well, first off, both of them involve cows. 
Both of them thought, I love the Chick-fil-A. I'm driving back from Georgia yesterday, and every 40 or 50 or 60 miles, there would be this Chick-fil-A commercial. It's always got a couple of cows on the sign, you know. And basically, they're saying this, eat more chicken. You know, don't eat beef, eat more chicken. And they're so creative in how they do that. And several years ago, the California Milk Processing Board came up with two words that simply say this, got milk. Got milk, and it really caught on. And what they do is they would take different celebrities, and they would put the white, you know, milk mustache on them, and uh, they would they would say, "Got milk," you know. And it really, really caught on. Now, there's one that I really don't remember too well, um, but it grabbed my attention this morning, and that's one by Apple. Um, of course, Apple computers is, is crazy famous. And uh, a while back, probably, oh, probably I went this eight or nine years ago, they came up with this simple, the Apple logo. It's, that's pretty universally known um, by people who, who do computer stuff, is the Apple with a bike taken out of it. And then the, all it said was, think different. Think different. And the idea was this. Well, first off, it was a slam on IBM. Because IBM had just came out with the ThinkPad. The ThinkPad. Now, if you remember, and again, if you're probably older than 25 or 30, you remember some of the IBM commercials, and the whole idea was, back in the beginning of IBM, everyone, and I do mean everyone, if you're a male, you were, and of course, I'm not sure they hired females back in those days. That's how racist they were, or how gender, whatever that word is, they were. But you wore a dark suit, you wore a white shirt, and you wore a thin tie. I mean, that was the uniform if you worked at IBM. And so they came out with the th- ThinkPad, and so their slogan for that was, Think IBM, Think IBM, Think IBM. Well, Apple comes along, and Apple's always kind of thought outside the box. And so they came up with this slogan. It said, Think Different. In other words, we're not like the ordinary computer companies. We're not like IBM. We're not like Dell. We're different. And, and the, the commercial would, would center around people who thought outside the box and changed the world. And Apple was saying that we are a company that thinks different. And you know what happened? Even though Apple had not introduced any major products in quite a while, stocks that year when they showed this commercial tripled. Because people liked the idea of being a part of something that was different. And there is so much spiritual implications to that. Because God has called his church in this world to be different. We're not to be like the Elks, or we're not supposed to be like the the Lion Club, and there's nothing wrong with those clubs. But he's not called us to be like other organizations. And personally, to bring it home, I really wanted our church to be something different. Not necessarily better. I like to say on the I like to say on the Baptist hour, I'll say, now please understand, I say, we're I always say these words, we are so excited what God is doing at Doorsville Baptist Church. But I always say this, I said, but we don't have a corner on the market. God is doing a lot of great things and a lot of good churches. Can you say amen to that? And they're not all Baptists. Hello. God is working through his church, often regardless of what denomination. If they're a gospel-preaching church, God is doing incredible things. But I wanted our church to be just a little bit different. Well, a while back, and it's probably been seven years or so, I would guess, um, my wife, Judy, served on the trustee board 
for Lifeway. And we had a slogan. It was a nice slogan. Um, love God. Uh, love, one people, one faith, one heart. Excuse me. That Love people of God was a different time. But, but one people, one faith, one heart. We'd stole it from some church in Nashville. And it, it rung my bell one day. So we kind of tagged that on. But it wasn't ours. And so Judy was at a Lifeway meeting. And she's listening to the, the, uh, the Broadman Holman publishing report. That's a, a, a segment of Lifeway. And they were doing their publishing report for that segment of Lifeway. And the new, I think it was the new president or vice president, said something like this. We want to make sure that we understand that every word matters. In other words, whatever they print, every word matters. Well, that kind of stuck in Judy's crawl. And she was driving back from Nashville. And when she got home, she said, you know, she said, you know, I heard something. And it really rung my bell. And she explained what it was. And she said, what do you think about because every person matters? And boy, it just instantly, I, I grabbed hold of it. And so immediately, we changed our marketing brand from, from One People, One Faith, One Heart to DBC because every person matters. I wanted us to be a church where every person matters. Now, I want us to be a church where a, a white person or a black person or a person from, from Asia or a person from Germany, a person who lived in the nicest part of town or a person who lived in the poorest part of town, uh, regardless of all those different things, that they could walk in to Dorisville and knew that they mattered. Now, I need to tell you this. That wasn't original. Um, Jesus kind of came up with that idea um, because he really felt like every person mattered. So if you're new at Dorisville and, and you haven't picked up on it yet, and, or, or, or if we've forgotten, you need to remind us, you're in a church that really believes that people with, with tats and piercings, they can walk through these doors and they're accepted and loved because that's exactly what Jesus Christ would do. And that's what this afternoon is all about. You know, close to probably 1,200 people will cycle through our building, our facility this afternoon. Somewhere between 575 and 650, those number of kids will come through and receive help. And, and again, they're going to be all skin colors, all economic situations. Um, some will drive far, some will be close. But we want to send the message again and again and again that every person matters. Now, a guy named um, Henry Drummond. Now, you probably don't know Henry Drummond. You may know what he said. You, it, it, may, it may pick up a little bit when I tell you the saying. But he was a personal assistant to D.L. Moody. And then you go... Okay, I don't know Henry Drummond, and I don't know D.L. Moody. Well, D.L. Moody was the father of the modern Sunday school. He uh, birthed a ministry in Chicago, and guess where he built his, his, his Sunday school? He built it right in the middle of the hardest part of Chicago. I mean, the poorest, hardest part. In fact, Moody Bible Institute is just like, like blocks away from, from Hurt Village, and it, it was one of the most... It was one of those, well, it was so bad the police wouldn't even go there. And I'm not being facetious. I'm not being facetious. The police would not go in the housing area there. It was so bad. And D.L. Moody builds his school there and his Sunday schools there. Well, Henry Drummond worked for, was an assistant to D.L. Moody. And he died like he was young, like 46 years old. And he had, a, he had some, a lung cancer thing going on. 
But he said something that really helps us understand every person matters because every person matters. Listen to what Henry Drummond said. I shall pass through this world but once. You know, there's a beer company that said, you only live once in this life, so go for the gusto. Well, that's typical world thinking. But that was so opposite of what Henry Drummond says. He says, I shall pass through this world but once any good thing. Now, we can't, uh, Andy Stanley said this, we can't do something for everyone, but that shouldn't keep us from doing good for someone. We can't, we can't minister to every child, needy child in Saline County, but that shouldn't stop us from ministering to the ones that we can. So I shall pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show to any human being because every person matters, let me do it now. Let me do it now. Let me not defer it or let me say, oh, well, we'll do it next year or neglect it. In other words, it's a priority, but it's not the number one priority. Let me not neglect it uh, nor defer it, for I shall not pass this way. Again, and that's the phrase you might remember from a saying somewhere, we shall not pass this way again. I think Seals and Croft, if you said, we shall never pass this way again. I don't know the area from hearing drumming or not. But anyway, so, so that's the idea that whatever we're going to do for the cause of Christ, now is the time, today is the day to do what we need to do, what God is calling us to do, because every person matters. Now, the truth is, you know, Jesus really believed this. Yeah, I know I said a little cutie thing earlier, but Jesus really believed that every person matters. You know, in Mark chapter 12 and verse number 28, uh, here's what Jesus kind of says. He says, and one of the scribes, and a scribe, of course, was a lawyer in the sense of an expert of law. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing uh, one with another. And so, so, you know, Jesus is wrangling with the Pharisees and, and the scribes. He's wrangling with them. And by the way, and you know, Jesus didn't wrangle just to wrangle. He had a purpose in his wrangling. You know, some people just like to disagree. Some people just like to wrangle. They always, you know, you can say the sun's going to rise tomorrow. No, it's not. How do you know that? You know, well, Jesus wasn't that kind of a guy, but he was wrangling them for a purpose. So they were disputing one with another and seeing the scribe, seeing that he answered them well, asked him a question. And he said, which commandment is the most important of all? That's a good question. So here's an expert of the law, and he looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, you really did a good job with these guys. You know, from one, from one guy that knows the law to another guy who knows the law, I admire that. I admire that. So, so which one do you think is the most important? Well, Jesus says in verse 29 of Mark 12, Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So in other words, so the Lord our God is one, and he's number one. You got that? He, he is one, and he's number one. If you haven't figured it out yet, if you're going to follow God, he can't be two, three, six, eight, ten, or twelve. I mean, he has got to be number one. So, so he says, okay, well, here's the deal. The, here's the rule. Here's the number one. You know, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God. So he's number one, and you must love him. If you're going to follow God, you've got 
to love him. Now, and the question is begged then, well, how are we to love him? How do we love him? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. He says, you shall love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. He says, with everything that you are. If, you, if you're going to love God, if you want to know what the most important thing is, if you're going to love God, you've got to be all in. Teams that are not all in don't win World Series. Teams that are not in do not win Super Bowls. Teams that are not all in do not win NBA titles. If you want to know why there's so many lost people in the world, it's because churches are filled with people who are not all in. They like the idea of a fire escape. They like the idea of I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. They like the idea of having someone say words over them when they die. They like the idea of being able to have their daughter or son married in a church and the pastor knows the family. They like all that. But churches are filled with folks who are not all in. And Jesus says the number one deal, the number one deal is you've got to love God with all your heart. In other words, you've got to love God with all your passion. We have a, we have a family staying at our, our uh, apartment thing, that, you know, our little business thing we've got going on. And I was in there drinking a cup of coffee. We drove back to Milan. I was just like relaxing. And they pulled up and, oh, gee, Jesus missed personality. Let me, let me imitate her for you. We're so glad that you are here. Oh, it's so good to meet you. And I'm Judy. And and I'm going, no, Judy, don't do this. I don't have time, Judy, because I know what's next. Come meet my husband. It's coming up. It's it's coming. So sure enough, here they come, you know, and and there's this dude and his wife, you know, and so, so the dude sits down. I would sit down and say, hey, sit down, you know. And, And the girl, the lady, the wife goes over and talks with Judy. And, and I'm talking to this guy. And, and we're bouncing around the God topic, you know. And I'm, sure not, I'm not sure exactly how we crossed the divide, but he finally said, are you like a pastor? And I said, yeah, like I am. You know, that's what I do. And this guy just opened and gushed out. And he was one of the most passionate, excited believers I have seen. Brent, you wouldn't believe this dude. I mean, he was like, Wow, on, in love, on fire, and in love with Jesus. And he goes, you don't care that I'm this excited, do you? I said, dude, come on, you're rubbing off on me. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. He was a police officer for 14 years. He was raised a Roman Catholic for 40 years. Finally decided, got out of church, decided he needed to go to church, met Jesus Christ as Savior 10 years ago, and has never looked back. Hell yeah, clap. You need to clap for this. It's just incredible. And, and I'm going to myself, knowing that I was going to read this scripture today, would love God with all your heart, with all your passion. And my f- new friend, Jimmy, that's exactly what he has. He has that passion. He goes on and says, with all your soul, with all your being, with all your intellect, with all your abilities, you've got to be all in. And I'm sure the scribe was going, spot on, Jesus. You're right on, bud. That's what, you're right on. But then he, go, he didn't stop. He goes on to verse 31 and says these words. Now, the second, and I'm sure the lawyer wanted to go, now, wait a minute, Jesus, I just asked for one. He says, uh, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor. 
So, so you love God like you're all in, heart, soul, intellect, mind, all of those things. But then, but then you also need to love your neighbor. And now, we can talk about this, and we do not have time to talk about all this. But, you know, who's our neighbor? And those are the people like around us. Like, we're going to have 1,000, 1,200 neighbors come through our building today. You, you live in a neighborhood with 50, 60, or 100 neighbors in your neighborhood. You work with a bunch of neighbors. You students are fixing to go to school with a bunch of neighbors. And Jesus says, you have to love your neighbor. Well, how do we love our neighbor? You know, first off, how do we love God? Well, the heart, soul, mind, strength. How do we love our neighbor? As yourself. As yourself. Wow. How about that? And, and then Jesus says this. There is, watch, watch, watch. There is no other command. Someone say no other command. Yeah, yeah. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. This is why I want our church to be a little different like this. There is no other command greater than these. In other words, on the top, the, the, uh, of course, God gave us like some laws. Okay, right? we know the Ten Commandments. But there were other laws beyond that. But then the scribes and Pharisees came along and added about 640 different laws that they wrote. Okay? And Jesus is saying, at the very top of the pile are these two commands. Love God. Love people. That's it. The top of the pile. Love God. Love people. He, he said in Matthew twenty two forty 40, again, that most people parallel the two passages. And here's what he says in Matthew twenty two forty. 40. You know, on all of this, these two, all the law hangs on these two. All the law hangs on these two. Love God, love people. So, so, so whether you're a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Baptist or whatever you are, if you're here visiting today, you need to ask the question, does my church actively and very publicly love God and love people. Love God, love people. May I be bold enough to say, no matter how many people you're attracting, no matter how big your crowd, no matter how fancy your building, no matter how many programs you've got, if you are not a church family who loves God and loves people, you are in deep weeds. I don't care what your denomination is. I don't care how much... Hey, I'm going to go a step here. I don't care how big your budget is. I don't care how big your offerings are. If you're not a family that loves God, loves people, then you're in deep ways. That's why this senior pastor, in more way than one these days, senior I mean, really believes that we can never lose focus on who we are. So if you're new here today and you're going, who, who, what's Dorisville about? I hope Dorisville's about love God, love people. Regardless of skin color. Regardless of economic station. Regardless of their background. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Why? Because that's what Jesus said was cool. That's what he said that we should do. So he demonstrates this. You know, it's funny. He didn't demonstrate necessarily the idea and the concept that, that you know, it was important that we love God. I mean, he, he didn't. I think he thought they had that one down pretty good because they were pretty religious people. 
But in John chapter 13, he gives us just a little bit clearer picture. It's almost like he feels like he's got to nail down the importance of loving people. So here it is. Watch this. The night before he dies. Someone say the night before he dies. I mean, we're talking about hours left on this earth. And he gathers with his disciples, all 12 of them. He gets them in the upper room, and two things happen. The first thing happens, we're going to talk about this morning right now. And then the second thing we're going to observe at the end of the service called the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. And we're going to look at both those, but both these things occur that night. So look what happens in John 13, and let's learn fresh and anew how we love God and how we love people. Here we go. In John chapter 13, verse number 1. So, before the Passover, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus knew that his time had come. He knew that this cross was just hours away. And I want you to understand something. Although he had not personally experienced a crucifixion, I want you to understand he knew this was coming. The whole reason that, that he came, the whole reason that he came to this world was for that. This. Our redemption, our salvation, our purchase, His grace in our lives. So He knew the hour had come for Him to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. That speaks of two things. It speaks of time. The time of his death is hours away. And Jesus, when he started his ministry, way over here somewhere, when he started his ministry, and he called these men, he loved them. Listen, he knew them then as he knew them now. There really were no surprises in the relationship. When Jesus chose these 12 men, he knew their strengths and weaknesses from the get-go. No surprises. Some of you guys married a, a lady, and some of y'all ladies married a man, and you got married a year in the relationship, and you go, I didn't know I was getting this. Kind of like Forrest Gump, you say, you bite the chocolate, you know what you're going to get until you bite the chocolate. Well, some of you go, I didn't know what I was getting. Well, Jesus knew what he was getting. And he's there with these 12 guys, and he calls them. He calls them. And he loved them from the get-go. But that also speaks not only of time, but how. We say it this way. How much do you love me? Baby, I love you to the moon and back. I love you to the moon and back. That was what Jesus was saying. I've loved you consistently through your strengths and through your failures. I want you to know I've loved you to the end, but I love you to the moon and back. He loved them. And then the Bible says, verse number 2, Now, by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. One of the twelve was the betrayer. 
you probably figured out, Judas never got it. Judas wasn't a bad Christian. He was a lost man. Walked with Jesus for three years and never received the Savior. What a warning to us who are in church all the time, making sure we know Jesus Christ as Savior. So, so Satan threw it. The, the word there reminds us of, of Ephesians where, where Paul says that Satan throws his fiery darts. Well, he threw a fiery dart in, in the heart of Judas, and Judas determines he's going to betray Jesus. The Bible says, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given, him every, given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. Let me read that again. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, and that he had come from God, and was going back to God. Now, you need to write this down if, if you're a note taker. Number one, Jesus knew who he was. When it says, Jesus knew that the Father, he knew he was the Son of God. Listen carefully. Someone needs to hear this today. Because of a rickety past, because of an uncertain future, usually because of a failure, you need to hear this today. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior through through his death on the cross, by faith, receiving God's grace, turning from your sin and following Jesus, you are a child of God. You are not an accident that God apologizes for. Oops, I shouldn't have let him into the family. If, I'd only, if I only would have known what a failure he was going to be. He knew what a failure you were going to be, but when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, His grace extended that far and embraces you anyway. And He will never let you go. Never let you go. You need to know that. You need to know that. Some of you are so afraid to trust God because you're so afraid God's going to change His mind about you. He will not. He will not change His mind. About you. His mind is not determined by your performance. It's determined by his love for you. His love for you. He knew who he was. And you know who you are. He knew where he came from. He knew, and I'm, you know, I've shared this with you before, you know, Jesus didn't start at Christmas. He preexisted in heaven as the Son of God. And he knew where he had come from. And he knew what he had. He had everything. Full power was at his disposal. I'm not sure this worked, but it came to my brain this morning, and it won't leave, so I'm going to throw it out there, and if it fits for you, that's good. If it doesn't, well, it's a good story. You know, there's, there's, there's two things, two ways of handling buying things. Have you ever walked into a store? Maybe I could, Can we do the car lot thing? Have you ever gone to a car lot before, and you go knowing you can't afford the car? And you go, you know, and, and the salesman does his job. And, man, don't you want to go for a test drive? And da-da-da-da-da-da. You start jostling numbers in your head. Well, if I don't feed the kids but one meal a day for the next five years, you know, and if we turn the electricity off and just have water, you know, we can use candles, you know, all those things, we somehow manipulate the numbers and try to find a way where we can get what we can't afford. But then there's this thing, there's this Freedom. And, and by the way, somehow that car you feel like will make you feel richer. It'll make you poor, but it'll make you feel richer if you drive that kind of car. I know it's weird. I know it's weird. But then, then there's the guy who, for whatever reason, has saved 
money, and he has the money in the bank. And he steps onto the car lot, and he starts looking for cars. And he knows that he has $25,000 in the car, in the bank, devoted for a car. And there's this magical freedom in knowing I can buy the car or I can walk away. There's power in that. Um, you know what? Not today. I'll walk away. I remember her story on Dave, Dave Ramsey. A guy was going to buy a $75,000 car. He had the money in the bank. He had saved was debt-free and had saved for it. He ordered the, he went to the lot, found the car, test drove the car, and was about to write the check, a $75,000 car, and then said, you know what? Not today. Went out and bought a second-hand car, a lot cheaper. But he knew if he wanted it, he could have it. Jesus, God had given everything into his hands, all authority, all power, but he chose not to use it. There's power in having the choice. So he had everything and where he was going. He was going back to the Father. When you know those kind of things, when you're secure in knowing who you are, when you're secure in knowing where you're going, when you're secure in knowing what you have, you can serve others. You can serve others. That's why Jesus could do what he did. I'm hoping that clock is wrong. If not, we may just stay here at 2 o'clock. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> we love your humor, Pastor. <laughs> you old dog, you. <laughs> Get down with it. Look at verse 4. So he got up. He got up from supper. And he laid aside his robe and took a towel and tied it around himself. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet to dry them. Is anyone in the room wondering why she's here? Yeah, this is Dorothy. She lost her head one day. Probably in the tornado. This is Dorothy. And I told Trey, I want you to just bring it up and just set it there. I'll ignore you and you just do it and we're going to let the people wonder for a while why she's there. I wanted her to be the white elephant in the room. Ever heard that saying before? There's something in the room and everybody ignores it like it's not there. That's what I wanted her to be, and I think it worked. You're probably going, why did, why did Trey just walk up and put Dorothy on the stage? And why is the preacher pretending like she isn't there? Well, that night that happened, you know, they walked into the upper room. They walked into the upper room, and probably there was a small table there. And on that table was this pitcher in this basin of water and a towel. And everyone knew what it was for. Because it was the custom that when you gathered around the table, when you entered the room, when you entered the house, that there was, there was utensils there to wash feet. Because they wore sandals, if they wore shoes at all, and their feet would be dirty. And so, so at that table, in the room, there it sat, unused. A towel, a basin of water, a basin full of water, and a pitcher of water. Everybody ignored it. 
Peter walked by it, and John walked by it, and here comes James, and they're laughing, and, and here comes Thomas, and, and Judas, of course, he ignored it. And they all gathered around the table. And then midway through the meal, Jesus gets up, takes off his outer robe, and girds himself about with a towel. And he goes and gets this, this jug of water, this basin and this pitcher of water, and pours the water in the basin, and then walks around and starts washing the disciples' feet. Now, again, there is, you know, I, I was going to say there's not a cultural thing we can identify with, but I thought about bringing someone up on stage this morning and wash their feet, including my wife. I just didn't want to wash anybody's feet. And I didn't want to wash yours. You probably don't want to wash mine either. I've been in shoes for about two hours. Shoot that thing. Jesus, Jesus did what no one else would do. They would not even ask a Hebrew slave to wash another person's feet. That's how menial it was. They might bring or drag a Gentile slave in, but a good Jewish family would never have even another Hebrew slave wash someone's feet. And Jesus takes the towel and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And here's the deal. The deal is, there's Peter. Jesus, the rest of these guys may deny they know you, but I never will. I'll die with you. Oh, really, Peter? And in a few hours when you're going to say, I don't know you, I don't know him, I don't know him. Doubting Thomas. Jesus, I'll follow you unless I can put my hand in his side and my finger in the hole in his hand. I will not believe. James and John, the sons of thunder, who could lose it in a minute. And Judas. And Judas. The guy who was going to betray him is at the table. And Jesus washes everyone up. Want to know why? Because every person matters. Including the feet of Jesus. I'm sorry, feet of Judas. Every person matters. See, this afternoon, every person matters. Dave said it pretty tactfully. Those who are hard to serve. There's going to be some folks hard to serve. So what do you do when you get someone this afternoon who's just a little bit rude? Oh, you wash their feet. You serve them like Jesus would. What if you get someone who's just downright mean? Well, you serve them like Jesus would. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do. And we want to be like Jesus. See, this afternoon is not about us. It, matter of fact, this whole thing shouldn't be about us. Can I just be honest with you? Can I just be as candid as I can be? When we walk on this property, no matter what Sunday it is, it shouldn't be about us. It should be about him and them. 
That's what it should be about. That's what Jesus had in mind when he developed, he made the church, when he birthed the church. Love God, love people. Well, I'm way out of time. So, what happens? Well, if you want to hear what happens with Peter, come back Wednesday night. Verses 6 to 11, I think it is. We're going to talk about that Sunday night. But right now, you just need to know, here's what happens. Jesus, you know, puts his robe back on when he's done washing everybody's feet, including Judas's. And he sits down and says, now, do you know what I've done for you? I love that because it doesn't say to you. <laughs> you know what I've done for you? You know, I've given you an example. And basically he says this, you should do what I have done. You should do what I have done. So Dorsville, DBC, because every person matters, we should do what Jesus would do. How do you do that, Dwayne? Well, fortunately, we've got the Holy Spirit. If you're a born-again believer today, you've got the Holy Spirit living within you. And those fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, those kind of things, are all inside of us. And we're going to spend just a few moments, Judy, in this room circled up. And we're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to love every person, to show kindness to every person, because every person matters. This is, I was teasing with Dakota earlier. I said, Dakota, are you coming this afternoon? Well, I don't know. I said, dude, you've got to be here because God's going to be here. You don't miss God. You know, I was just, you know, I was just messing with him. This is the biggest event we're going to have where we get to be Jesus to our neighbors. That's why I want you here. And there'll be 150, 200 volunteers on this property today and well over 1,000 people. I hope you'll come and be Jesus, figuratively washing a few feet. Choosing not to ignore Dorothy, our friend. Choosing not to ignore this one. But pick up the towel, pick up the basin, pick up the pitcher, and love in Jesus' name. Would you bow your heads right there, please? Now, let me just share with you what we got going on. We, we set the clock a little bit sooner today. It wasn't because worship was long, because we have another portion of our service today. This is our time of decision. And today, if God's spoken to your heart about A... You know, I've, I've never heard that put about Jesus that way, that he died for me and that he can forgive my sins and, and make me a child of God. I can be a child of God. What, what, what does that mean, Dwayne? We have some friends down here. Brother Brent will be standing down front. And this is our time of the decision. We would love to invite you to come, and we'll be glad to tell you everything we can about how Jesus can forgive your sins and you can become a child of God. It involves turning from your sin, following Christ, and believing in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. That's number one. Number two is you might be here and you want to be a part of this. You said, you know what? I've been looking for a church that's a little bit different and you guys are definitely a little bit different. You seem to think differently. We're not better. We just try to think differently. So if you want to be a part of a church that enjoys serving others, that's trying to serve others, perhaps this is where God wants you to serve. If you'll come down today and take Brent by the hand and say, Brent, I want to know how I can be a part of this fellowship. And we'd be glad to share with you how that can happen. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. 
my goodness, again, the guy said it right. There's a lot going on, a lot going on. Brother John going to heaven, and then two young men over in Galatia, one injured severely in a fire, one dying, father at Bell Springs with drowning. There's a lot going on in people's lives. Maybe you want someone to pray with you. Maybe you want to come and kneel by these bags and just say a personal prayer over these bags. This is your time to respond to what God said to your heart. And we want to help you in any way that we can. So God, we love you today and we thank you for what you have done and what you're going to do. Jesus, thank you for the incredible example as you wash those disciples' feet. And Lord, you've not called us to get a basin of water and wash feet today, but figuratively you have. You've called us to love and serve others, to love you supremely and to love others, Jesus, in your name. That is the greatest two commands. May we be faithful not only today, but in our walk and in our life. So we commend this decision time to you, and then, Father, certainly the time of the table. And, Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.